What's up, everybody? Welcome to Kashan Cast here on a uh, Friday, December 17th, as we get set for Little Bucks basketball, Little Packer talk. I'm Craig Kashan, along with producer extraordinaire James Stewart Jr. James, how are you this morning? Doing well. And I know you're wondering, I had Fruity Pebbles for Christmas, for breakfast today. <laughs> you can have it for Christmas, too, if you want. Well, I <laughs> said Christmas now. today. Now, Jay now wanted them. You're jumping the gun on me. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> on my agenda, that was my top of the list question. I'm What's just trying to cut you off. Just list? keep you on your toes. Get ahead of you. So you went really healthy the other day uh, yeah. with your breakfast. Uh, what What did you have again? You had you had eggs and avocado. I had or, eggs and avocado. And I did my toast. job that day. And today and I'm celebrating. Now you're down to Fruity Pebbles yeah. by Friday. <laughs> <laughs> that's the key. You don't got to do it every day. You just well, got to be true. good some days. That's true. That's true. Well, a few things happening this week. Um, the Packers obviously getting ready for their game against the Ravens. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Bucks in action uh, this week. Very shorthanded Bucks team. Uh, played really well on Wednesday. Let's see, they had seven players out and uh, had a tie ball game going into the fourth quarter against the Pacers, uh, James, and, and all of a sudden went on a 21-0 run. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I, I'd have to rank that as one of the most impressive wins of the year. Yeah, and, and we talked about it during the game. Um, my thought process was basically if they get into a dogfight, it's going to be trouble. But Drew never slowed down and the shooting never slowed down. So, yeah, they, they put together a complete game without, you know, without Giannis, without Dante, who was supposed to come back, without Chris. No Matthews, Lopez, you know, a lot, a lot of missing pieces, but this team keeps chugging along. Yep, yep, for sure. Well, look, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about the Bucks here. We have uh, our first guest here on our mm -hmm. show as uh, we welcome in uh, my my TV partner on our pregame shows, the one and only Steve Novak joins Kashan Cast. My man, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I didn't realize I was supposed to be having fruity pebbles this morning. <laughs> so I'll, I'll honest, I'll be honest with you. I actually came down uh, for breakfast. Yeah, uh, because my wife had uh, been the one up earliest this morning, got the kiddos going. My daughter said she wanted one more piece of avocado toast, decided after one bite she was done. So I actually got the piece of avocado toast that my nice. daughter decided she no longer wanted. So I actually had a great start to my morning. Wow. wow. That's kind of that's the key is you just cook what you want to eat and they don't eat it. And then you get to eat it in the end anyway. <laughs> I agree. I remember the days when uh, when my boys were young, and this was a long time ago because I've got I've got my oldest graduating from college this weekend, so that's uh, that's a big event in our house. But it seems only like yesterday I was making uh, PB and J's, and and they never wanted to eat the crust, so I'd make the PB and J's, and I I just smear it all the way over to the edges, and then I cut the crust, and that's that that's what I would eat for lunch. They had the good stuff, and I got the crust, but. I made sure there was some flavor to it. So. Oh, yeah. And we'll take the scraps. We know as parents, yeah. it's just no longer about us in any way, shape, or form. We're just chasing the kiddos around. That's right. Eating their peanut butter and jelly crusts and uh, <laughs> just trying to keep them in school. Yeah. But I will say James intentionally eats Fruity Pebbles, so there's something <laughs> there's something to that story. So. See, there's, you just got to figure out the tricks. That's all. That's right. That's right. So we were just talking, uh, uh, started out our talk on uh, Bucks basketball uh, Steve, and obviously on on Wednesday, that turned out to be a, a big win 
uh, for the Bucks against really a, a full arsenal in the in the Indiana Pacers. They didn't have Rick Carlisle, their head coach, but uh, may, maybe that's what happened in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure, but all the turnovers, 21-0 run for the Bucks, uh, being so shorthanded without Giannis and Middleton and a total of seven players and stuff. I mean, that was that was an impressive win for sure. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I honestly think it was two things. I think from the Indiana perspective, it honestly, it kind of, it was an embarrassing loss. I think just as we on the Bucks side, as we're preparing to do the, you know, the pregame show and the game, we're thinking, hey, we got to kind of preface this with, we're down a lot of guys. And although we talk about the Bucks have depth and all that, the Pacers had to be thinking they're without Giannis, they're without Chris Middleton. This is a game we've got to win. And the Pacers, I feel like have kind of underachieved all year. And it's actually feels like for a couple of years now, and for it to come down to the fourth quarter, tie game, you're the healthy team, and the Bucks are down seven guys. Sabonis is still out there. Miles Turner is still out there. And the Bucks go off and dominate on a 12-6 to six paint scoring run, like you guys had just talked about, a 21-0 run in the fourth quarter. If you're the Pacers, you got to think those are some difficult conversations in the locker room. And I saw yeah. they bounce back last game and beat Detroit, and you had to feel like, that was clearly a response to the Bucks kind of doing what they did. But like you said, on the flip side, the fact that the Bucks had guys step up when guys are out, and we've seen it over and over again, but you just don't know when seven guys are out if it's going to continue. But it did. I thought everybody from, you know, Bobby Portis uh, to, you know, Jordan Wara stepped up and had good games. And it just makes the Bucks continue to be fun to watch kind of no matter the circumstance, which is, which is really fun. Yeah, Jordan, <clears throat> Jordan Wara specifically has kind of had a, a – some struggles shooting this year, I guess you would say, but it was good to see him kind of uh, get aggressive and attack the paint. And like you said, it was 12, six. I think you said the paint uh, battle on the fourth and yeah. which is even crazier considering, like you said, they have Sabonis and Turner in there and Jordan war is getting to the paint. had a couple dunks. Um, you know, Drew joked about him being blocked earlier in the game, but like it, it just, to me, it's interesting because whenever these things happen, it's, it's not necessarily just that we see these guys play, I think. Like, to see Nora attack the basket like that was something new for me, at least. Um, so, you know, hopefully these guys learn from that. I agree. I mean, I think what, like you said, was really cool was the fact that Nora is definitely known as a shooter, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a spot-up guy who can do more, but with his role, he's a, he's a shooter. He's a spot-up guy. He's not going to play big minutes. But it felt like he had recently just had a DNP, I think his first DNP of the season. I think back to when I played, look, when your manhood, your ability is questioned, you're not good enough or you can't play or we're sitting you right now, you're just waiting and dying for that next opportunity to get out there. And so, like you said, we saw him knock down a three, but really his of his 15 points, they were all two-point field goals and it was him attacking. And, you know, I think Drew was a big part of that, the fact that, you know, he really was getting guys the ball in the right spots, you know, not throwing it to him where they got two guys on him and then it doing nothing. He got the ball to war as he's cutting in transition. And and then I think you got to give war credit. I feel like that chip on his shoulder came out and he thought, I'm going to attack. This is my time. You know, I put the work in. Now I'm going to go out here and prove what I can do in a game where there's not, there's seven guys missing. Yeah. That's exactly what he's on the team to do. And I think as, like you said, a guy like war it is exciting. He's a 45th pick a couple of years ago, and you can just kind of see that growth continue to happen where holes in his games are continuing to go away. And 
you got to think in the next couple of years, he can be a, a high level impact player if he can keep shooting it the way he is. And, you know, really, I think clean up some of the defensive stuff. He's, he's showing growth for sure. Yeah. We went, we went through that whole, um, when Drew compared him to kind of like a young Chris Middleton. So we went through that phase where we were like kind of high on him, but um, yeah, we've seen this year, you know, I feel like he's, he's been more actively different on the defense, even more actively on the boards. So, yeah, you're right. I, I think we have kind of seen, you know, whether it's a huge step or a small step, we've seen a step forward um, just in mentality. And I, I think, you know, the shot, he's got such a unorthodox shot, but also like it goes in. Like yeah. from what we've seen from him, like he's he's a good shooter and I feel like that's going to come back around. Um, but what do you think about like Drew? From what I saw, he was pretty aggressive going to the hoop. Um and I feel like his finishing at the at the rim kind of comes and goes, but he obviously had it going uh, against the Pacers, and he needed to. He he knew that he needed to to kind of hold that scoring down because we usually don't see was it twenty six I think he had. Yeah, we don't 26. see that very often from Drew. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting you said because you know the other day when Craig and I were doing the James and you were doing the pregame show, uh, you know, I was sending a note to Craig before the game, and I was saying, look. The one thing that worries me about there being no Giannis, being no Chris, is, of course, Drew has to assert himself, has to play better off, not better, but differently yeah. offensively. He's got to shoot the ball more. He's got to look to score. But I feel like there's so many point guards and teams historically that when that shift happens or if it's necessary, you got your guy who's in charge of running the team. And it's a burden, right, to get guys the ball and make sure you run the offense. You're calling other guys' numbers. When you're not calling other guys' numbers, you're not – necessarily looking for other guys you're trying to score yourself because you do think it's the right thing for the team. It just, it hurts the flow and the feel and the energy of the game because when the guy who's a distributor is also the guy who's the most aggressive to score, I just think it takes the the wind out of a lot of guys' sails thinking I'm not going to get a touch every possession. I'm not being looked for versus the opposite of that. Or when you have a point guard that's coming down and you know he's looking to be passed first every time. If he gets to the paint, he's still looking to kick the ball out he gets off on guys around him scoring it's a different feel as one of those role players i was one of those guys when you're with a selfish point guard drew by no means is selfish he just had no choice because there's so many guys out to be aggressive and it changes the feel of the game and in the last three games before that indiana game when drew had shot 16 or more field goals the bucks lost and so to me it was kind of a worrisome spot to be in but he ends the night with 14 assists to go along with his 26 points. And I think you go, this guy, Drew Holiday, is capable, as we've seen so many times over the years, of doing all of that. And I think part of that is always based on who is he delegating to? Who is he getting the ball to? Are those guys capable of knocking down shots and, you know, being effective? And so with that many guys out, to be honest, to have, you know, Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis and Warren, you know, all those guys playing well, I think it, it, was, it was fun to watch. And Craig, like you kind of started the show saying, probably made it one of the most impressive wins of the year because of uh, what they were faced with. So, but Drew, he made pretty much all of that go besides I felt like a lot of the energy plays that, that our big fella Bobby Portis was making. So it's interesting because now <clears throat> tonight, uh, no Bobby Portis, um, no Giannis. Bobby yeah. Portis is now on the uh, health and uh, safety protocol list. So that, uh, that puts four on that list now for Milwaukee. Uh, it looks like Chris Middleton uh, has a good shot at returning tonight, which will which will definitely help um, this cause. 
Zion Williamson's uh, out for an extended period of time um, for New Orleans. So this is this is one even as shorthanded as the Bucks are going to be. It looks like they're going to have at least seven players out again uh, for this uh, quick road trip down to New Orleans. This is this is still a winnable game, but it made the style of it's going to change a little bit with Giannis and Portis out. Um, now, now the Bucks appear to be uh, uh, going small for sure in this one, Steve. Yeah, and I would be—I'll be very honest. I think if there's one guy you don't want to go small against, especially based on some of the past performances against the Bucks, it's Jonas Valanciunas. And thank God Zion's out, at least for the Bucks' sake. Yeah. But Jonas Valanciunas is basically—he's a bully, and I was his teammate with the Toronto Raptors, and. Every every practice before practice, he's out there with one of the assistant coaches who basically has a tackling dummy or some kind of basketball pad to protect himself because Jonas is coming through there throwing elbows, putting his shoulder down and just trying to be a man among boys every chance he gets. And so he puts up massive double doubles uh, pretty much every game. And I think there's probably an assistant coach in his year saying, hey, are you going to let these bucks play small ball on you and you're not going to be the best player on the court and most dominant. So I see him as a big problem. I think he was before Portis was out. Now with Portis out, you got to envision, you know, like a Thanasis matched up with, but either way it's, it's an undersized guy. And uh, the Pelicans also feeling pretty good after hitting 61 foot shots. So they seem to have some, some good things going for him. Balance yeah. units is, is an interesting one for me. Cause I feel like he's kind of like, um, I put him in like uh Nikola Vucevic together like guys like very impressive players that I feel like kind of get lost in the shuffle like he was it's like we knew about him when he was with Toronto but ultimately in the grand scheme of things that Toronto team was failed because they ran into LeBron so much but it's like you forget how how effective and how quietly he can have a 2012-2015 game yeah no I think you're you're absolutely right. I think he's he's uh, maybe a little bit of a byproduct of kind of the way the league is has gone, you know, with the three-point shooting. And obviously we've seen it with Steph Curry so much recently. There's been a massive shift away from, you know, what massive human being can we get to be the best player on our team, like a, a Yao Ming, a Shaq, and a Jonas Valanciunas drafted early in the first round to be a franchise player. All of a sudden the shift happens where it's just more guard play and like you said, you got a guy who's a heck of a player and he's dominating games and he's having a big impact, but it seems like teams are certainly afraid to give the keys to a, to a guy like that. So like you said, he has huge games. He's just, it's, it's going to be Brandon Ingram's team. There's no yeah. doubt. He's going to have the ball in his hands. The, the shooting is going to be perimeter based. And Jonas knows that too. He's down there cleaning up offensive boards and doing whatever he can. So, I mean, that's, that's again, what makes him special. Who's even Who's even gonna play big for the Bucks tonight? Like, who's well, gonna be there for five? I mean, Mamu and do this. Yeah, Mamu, like, I know. No, it's like you're gonna have to see Nora at the four. I mean, if Thanasis plays, I would assume he'll play some four. Like, there's not. They don't have a lot of muscle left from the guys that are missing. No, there's definitely not. And I think to me that does one of two things: either you know it going into the game. You're outmatched in that area, and you, these guys in the NBA, like Jonas, they can take over games and be dominant, and they do. Or it becomes this like mentality shift where you go, fellas, let's not act like we're going to compete with Jonas. We've got to beat him in a in a different way. You know, we've got to 
push the pace. We got to shoot a lot of threes. We got to be perimeter based. And it's a great Mike D'Antoni saying that he used to say to me in timeouts, we would be in a timeout in the New York Knicks huddle and there'd be the other team, wherever we were playing, taking forever to come out of their huddle. And he's Mike D'Antoni be looking down, trying to see who is that team putting in uh, coming out of this timeout. I'm trying to D'Antoni be trying to figure matchups out and they would take too long. And he would just look at me and he would say, Steve, forget it. I don't care who they put in. As long as you go out there and score more points than the guy you're guarding, I'm going to just leave you in. <laughs> and so that might have to be the Bucks mentality yes. tonight. Coach Bud just says, fellas, you got to win your matchups and you got to, it's got to be group rebounding and group defense, be in the right spots and be super annoying. And the Bucks, yeah. they got those guys, Drew Holiday, Thanasis, they can, they can muck some things up for sure defensively. That reminds me of uh, back in the George Carl days, man. It seemed like uh, fourth quarter, every time out he took, you know, they, they'd meet at the court and then they, then they come walk over and sit down with the players and he'd start drawing stuff up and he wouldn't be looking uh, on his board when he was drawn up for his players. He'd be looking down the bench, you know, like <laughs> this to try to figure out who was sitting down over there, who's coming in the game so he could do his matchups. And, and I always kind of marveled at that because th that's what it was all about for, for a guy like that. But uh, that, that just kind of circulated back in my, my reporting days back then when they we, we were allowed in those huddles and stuff. But um, wanna, I want to ask you something, just shifting gears just a little bit to, to Bobby Portis. This is something James and I uh, were discussing. Uh, just randomly it popped up on our last on our last show, uh, Steve. And it was uh, Bobby Portis's emerging um, value to a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, the teammates they have become winning a championship together and now – they're going to be together for at least two more years, um, including this year. But um, is he is he potentially becoming that that Scottie Pippen version of a guy to to Giannis because they've been together for a championship and and they do complement each other awfully well and they you know he he's got a big important role on this team. You know he does, and it's, it's to me it is kind of surprising to to think we're having that conversation. If you think back, you know, a full year ago where Bobby was, you know, does he have a chance to be, you know, the sixth man for this Bucks team? And then it turned into, does he have a chance to be the sixth man of the year? And now all of a sudden we're talking about, is he kind of the running mate to Giannis? And I think, you know, the, the way that he plays, uh, you know, the comparison to like a Scottie Pippen, it makes me think of like a, of the Dennis Rodman effect that he had with those Bulls teams when it was Jordan and Pippen and Rodman. It's like to have the crazy guy, to have the energy guy, to have the guy who's stealing extra possessions and making big plays. And obviously Bobby Portis's offense compared to Rodman's is night and day. Bobby Portis is clearly better. Yeah. But I just think to your point to have, when you win a championship, the results speak for themselves. And the fact that what Bobby brought, to this team and it meshed with Giannis and it worked with true and with the entire team. I think there's just so much to be said for that worked and that's right. And it's so hard to win a championship that, you know, I just think like, you know, when you hear people say this team is going to win the championship this yeah. year, that team is going to win. And then you watch the finals and the playoffs and you see teams win or lose because a guy like KD stepped on a line when he shot it or somebody made this little tiny fractional error and you go, listen, no one knows who's going to win these championships. We know who's got chances, but when it works and when it's right, you do look at guys like Bobby Portis and you go, 
we're not going to question this. That works. Their chemistry is incredible. What Bobby brings doesn't get in the way of Giannis. What Giannis doesn't get in the way of Drew and so on. And I think, so in my opinion, I just think the fact that, like you said, they fit so well together. You know, I think the Jordan Pippen, man, those boys were special. The hard comparison, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but I love it. And I think, like, to your point, what Bobby brings and the fact that he's getting better, it seems like every day, it tells you if they can mess around and make a push again in a year two and show the world, hey, this isn't a fluke. Yeah. This wasn't a one-time thing. Now I think you're talking about, hey, you might get that kind of respect. And that that's the hard part for me with this question is because like when you say like the Jordan uh Pippen kind of comparison teammate wise, like clearly Chris Middleton is the Pippen. But up to this point this year, Bobby's clearly had, at least in my opinion, a bigger impact. Like because Chris missed a lot of games and whatnot, but like Bobby's stepping in to start at center and then not only just stepping in, but his production is, is far and above what you could have expected. So it's almost like impact wise this year, like you, you could make that argument. And obviously he's not like the Rodman type, but he does bring that, that mindset. So what, and we've talked about this a couple of times, Craig and I, the, the thing that I love the most about this team is that it's hard to make these comparisons because none of these guys do the same thing. Not like they're none of them. This is for me, a team that actually makes sense. Like you have to give John horse so much credit because every single piece that he's brought in has served a specific role. And like you said, there's no inner, there's no overlap. So what Bobby does does not get in the way of Chris or drew or Giannis and, and vice versa. So it's just, it's interesting to kind of look at this team because we're, especially in this new like super team era, it just feels like so often we're looking at these teams and we're saying like the Lakers, like how, how are LeBron and Westbrook going to work? Right. When it was the Clippers, how are Paul George and Kawhi going to maximize their ability? They do the same thing. LeBron and Wade, they do the same thing. So it's like, there's this constant figuring out of how that's going to work out. That never had to happen here. They, they don't do the same thing. You're not in my way. When it's my turn, I do what I do. When it's your turn, you do what you do, and I won't be in the way. I agree. And, you know, to, to me, that is the most beautiful part about team sports and about basketball is you can take a sheet of paper and you can write five guys' names down, and you can go, now that's the best team right there. But then when you get out on the court, yeah. if they don't, like you're saying, complement each other and raise each other's levels around them, they're not as good as they are on paper. And then you take a group, like you're saying, that fits so perfectly together that I think about this example of, I play with Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire. I play with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. We're talking about four of the greatest players, most dominant players of all time. And yet when they were teammates, they never could really complement and raise each other's levels to the point that they could win a championship. And I think you could argue that a Carmelo Anthony and a Mari Stoudemire, a Russell and a, and a Kevin, those, those two pairs could be better than a Giannis and a Chris Middleton on paper. And a two-on-two, they'd never lose. Right, right. Except for that doesn't matter unless you can complement each other and be like you just described in your own lane and benefiting the guy next to you. And it's a beautiful thing, like you said, when it's effortless, when Drew Holiday just – 
happens to love to find guys on the break instead of mm-hmm. pushing it up like some point guards are waiting till the guy's close to the basket and throwing it to him so they make sure they get their assist. When it when it comes naturally, and, and Giannis has got to get a lot of credit for that because you can tell he sets that tone of yeah. nothing is more important than winning. And so I think you just, to me, Giannis is the guy that sets that mentality tone and everybody kind of falls in line. And He's selfless. Giannis does do what he does, but he sets that unselfish tone that, it's winning above everything else. So uh, this week in NBA history, <laughs> Steph Curry uh, becomes the new um, three-point king in three-point makes, um, passing Ray Allen. He did it at the Garden in New York, your old stomping grounds where you had uh, you were at the peak of your career, my man. Um, James does some uh, quick digging before the show and shares with me that you are number nine on the all-time three-point accuracy list in the NBA. What what is uh, what does that mean to you, and what does it mean to be on that list? And then seeing what where Curry has taken three-point shooting. You haven't been out of the league that long, Steve, and it's already dramatically different and more of a, a weapon in the NBA than ever before. Uh, it really is one of the one of the crazy stats is ten years ago. There was not a team in the NBA making more than 10 threes a game 10 years ago. And now today, there's not a team making less than 10 threes per game. So it's like in a, just a decade's time, and there's no question like you're referencing Steph Curry. He has just he has everything to do with that because the three-point shot specifically went from a don't settle, throw it to the big fella. Don't rush the threes. We'll get them on in, inside-out plays. Two, hold on now. Golden State just won how many championships? <laughs> Shooting mostly three balls. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this massive shift happened where some of the analytics were already out there, and there was these undercurrents of three-point shooting is good, but no one had really won championships shooting three-pointers. And everybody said, well, you live or die by threes. You live or die by threes. And now everybody will tell you, you die if you don't shoot threes, and that's it. So to watch Steph set that record and do it at the Garden, you're right. It was, I mean, with with Ray there and Reggie there, I mean, that was so special. And, you know, for me, like you said, as a part of like that top 10 percentage in, in history list, the thing I'm most proud of is that I was the summit. I'm the only 6'10 guy on that list. I'm the tallest guy on that list. And there's so many guys that have been shooting threes, but I've always believed, my dad always coached me and believed, you know, do what you love. And then find a way to be successful at it. And I loved shooting half court shots and bombs while my dad was running his practice at Brown Deer High School. He never told me to put my back to the basket. I loved shooting the three ball and always thought it was the best shot in basketball. And now the world has come around. And I just love the fact that I was the tall guy that was always out there bombing when I was at St. Margaret Marion in third grade. And people were like, put him inside. What is he doing? What a, what a, what is, where, who's this guy's parents? And uh, now I get to look back and go, well, you know, I guess three-point shooting analytically and according to Steph Curry, it is the right thing to do. (laughs) How how kind of cool is that or cool has it been for you to kind of – because you were on the the end of that transition to to kind of people kind of realizing how how effective the three could be. But how cool has it been kind of since you – left the league just to see that shift is do you think it's good or do you think 
there should be a little more big man play. You know, like you said, I definitely was. I was drafted in 2006 by Daryl Morey. So, like, the, the king of basketball analytics. And so I definitely was the, the, the beginning of that where the analytics were a big part of why I got drafted and who I got drafted to, but we still weren't allowed to shoot. I think I was making in my fifth season as many three-pointers as was me and Kevin Durant shared most three-pointers made per game that year. But I was playing, like, half the minutes. So I was just getting up bombs, and people thought it was irresponsible. And so I do appreciate now the fact that it's just simply not looked at as irresponsible. Looked at, it's looked at as an incredible weapon and really the only way you can win at a high level. So I love seeing that side of it. I think the part that is lost in the purity part of basketball is you shouldn't be shooting threes to shoot three for the sake of shooting threes. You should be taking the best shot down on offense every possession but if you build a team with the right guys who their strengths are shooting the three ball along with guys who their strengths are getting in the paint and drawing the defense so that you can get open threes, I think there's a little bit lost in that part of it, that shooting threes isn't just shooting them. It's the art of how you get an open one. So there's guys that shoot them and there's guys like Drew Holiday that get in the paint and are unselfish and looking. There's guys like Chris Paul that are always trying to draw that second defender so they can see where it's coming from and find the open shooter. And so I think there's more to it than shooting it. And I think that's starting to really be seen more by the fan. I think it's well understood by the analytics department, kind of where the three pointers come from. But I think there's now becoming a, a greater understanding as to how the three point makes are produced. So here's a good one for you. Now I'm going to, I'm going to make you think on your, on your think tank here a little bit. So Curry gets uh, a couple of Rolex watches for uh, Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala uh, for continuing to um, give him the ball, right? So he gets some Rolexes. So I'm thinking to myself, here, here are two of your teammates here. Sure. We're live. What now, if we were to feed you the ball and we're taking good care of you right now and making you like a big-time TV star – like what, what would be the equivalent for, for Rolexes for us? What, I mean, what would you get us? Oh boy. I mean, well, knowing the kind of gentleman that you both are, it might be a, a bottle of a fine bottle of rare Blantons or uh, maybe some fine Cuban cigars, you know, look. So we need to keep setting you up is what you're saying. Yeah. Hey, and I'll be honest, you know, if you get a few huge sponsors on here and you guys start bringing me back and writing me big old checks, I wouldn't put the Rolexes as an impossibility. Oh, nice. So well, now we have a bar. Now we have a bar. We know what to reach for. Hey, there's you got to love that, though, don't you? Like Steph's oh, yeah. just so clear that <coughs> he recognizes and understands kind of how it's all happening and where it comes from. Like he knows his guys have so much to do with his success. He knows the world will never see them as it, but he's making sure he tells them, yeah, I got a Rolex for you because I know you're getting me open. You're looking for me kind of like you see in football, you know, it's like Tom Brady gifting some of his linemen, like you're saving my life every night. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for you. Uh, I, I, you gotta love those stories. Cause it's those guys got to really, really appreciate that gesture that, they're being given a little bit of love for what they've been a part of, even if everybody doesn't see it. Have you been on a team where where one of the one of the superstars has uh, handed out gifts either to you guys or has done something pretty special like that, or is it, or how rare is this? 
You know, I think uh, at that level, I'd call it rare. You know, I think I've seen, you know, guys like John Wall give the entire team, well, you know, you give me a $44 million contract per year, I'll probably start throwing some Rolexes out there too. I'm, the, the richer I am, the more generous I am. I don't know. That that seems to be fair. I'm not generous at all then. <laughs> no, so but, here, here's my question, Steve. Yeah. Uh, Steph is shooting 43%. 43.1% on his career. Mm-hmm. You shot 43.0%. So you're only 1% off. So my question is... 0.1% change. 0.1, yeah. So if we were, if you were still playing and we were to extrapolate those games, Steve Novak has potentially shot good enough to be the greatest three-point shooter of all time. You well, just then, needed more opportunities, it looks like. You know... So I'll just be extremely honest here. Okay. My job <laughs> was to shoot threes and I, right. It was like, yeah. I lived it. I tried to stay in rhythm and feel good every day. So I could continue to make as many threes as I could. The, the, the disadvantage I had was I feel like the power of it's the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do is yeah. so real. I was always, I think I had in my head that because the coaches weren't all for it and the league wasn't all for it. It's not the right thing to do. And I think that, that burdens you a little bit. Steph has the advantage of you better shoot that three every single time. The power of like, if you're a seven footer, you better get out there and shoot threes. Whereas before a seven footer was taken out of the game if you shot it. So I think the percentage increase to being told it's the right thing is so real. It's like the end of a shot clock. You have the ball. There's one second left. You're probably going to make that shot a much better, higher percentage because it's, you have no choice. It's the right thing. On the other side of it, Steph Curry had so has so much more to do than just shoot threes. He had to run the team, averaging 10, 12 assists per game some seasons. He's got to make sure he's you know able to play 35, 40 minutes a night. And the fact that the number one defender and the defense was built around stopping him every single night, yeah. and he still has been able to shoot the ball at that historic of a clip, I think it, it just shows why he's so overwhelmingly the greatest shooter of all time. He had the burden of running the team as well as going against the top defender and team defense, double teams, triple teams, and playing big minutes. And he breaks the three-point makes record in pretty much half as many games mm-hmm. as Ray, who was number two. So, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's staggering, the numbers. So, yes, James, I think to answer your question, I'm clearly the greatest shooter of all time. <laughs> okay, maybe Steph's just a touch better. What, what would have happened if you would have took a fast break Half quarter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, in my dreams, some nights when I go to bed, I still do take half court transition threes with no one back on defense. Yeah. Um, but you might have got cut back then. No doubt about it. No doubt. It's not just a bench. Get him out of here. Right. Yeah, he's got to go. He's a bad influence. Hey, I, the, I, I just want to ask you this because the thing that I marvel most with – uh, Steph Curry is his trick shots, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that that will go halfway up into the stands and and just turn around and take a shot, and, and it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, he'll do it all over the court. He'll go behind the bench. He'll go behind the basket. Uh, how, how often did you do that, if any at all? Um, I mean, this guy is having the time of his life right now. That, that has to do – something with how successful he is on the court. 
you're 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 totally right. And I think every kid that is a great shooter that turns into a great shooter became that because they love being in the gym. And you don't just shoot practice shots every day for your whole life. You you love being in the gym. You mess around. You shoot over the back of the backboard. You climb up on the balcony. You throw it a hundred feet off the stage. And so I think to me the the positive association with the game of basketball and shooting is what allowed me to become the great shooter I became because I love being in the gym with my dad. I love shooting trick shots. I love shooting half court shots. And then because I spent so much time in the gym, I had an edge. And once I had an edge, then it's like, then I started to work at it. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing with Steph is obviously he grew up with his dad, Dell. He was in the gym. His association with basketball was always so positive. He saw his dad and he loved being around it and around the game and all the positive things that it brought. And then all of a sudden he had an edge and then he started to work at it and he became who he became, but there's no question. There's this God given blessing of touch that Steph has that I have that all the great shooters were, were, were blessed with. That means you're not going to the NBA for sure. You're blessed with an advantage. But I think that when you watch Steph shoot it out of the stands and he's not using correct form, yeah. he'll just, he's just heave it this and he makes it. It shows you that Steph, has this incredible, not arrogance, but like confidence and belief that he can make it anywhere yeah. that's different. And there's no doubt. You can't make those shots unless you think you're going to make them. Right. And I think most people go to the bleachers, they stand 100 feet away, and they go like, I got no chance of making this. And I think, Steph, there's you. he has to be thinking, I'm making every single one of these. Because yeah. otherwise, he never would. And I think that that's what makes him just so unique, the way he – Well, now he's just putting on a show. Like, he's doing it yeah. for the kids, and it's just – Clearly, he knows he can make those shots. Yeah, it's and it, and it, it's incredible because it's there's it's 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 an art. There's no science to those shots. You're standing in the bleachers, thousand feet away, and the guy's doing it on a regular basis. I'm like, that's an art. Yeah, the guy just he, he just he, he wills it to happen with touch and with feel and with confidence. And I mean, it's it's hard to mimic, uh, maybe impossible, but it's fun to watch. All right, my man. We're gonna we're gonna let you go. We appreciate your time. It was uh, fun catching up with you. Just uh, shooting the bull here and talking a little Bucks basketball, talking NBA stuff. Your career. Hope to do it again down the road when we can uh, corral a sponsor too, so we can uh, yeah. compensate you. Start for your looking season. for watches. <laughs> well, call Rolex. I'll see if they're uh, if they have any sponsorships available for the next fiscal year. You got uh, you got any Christmas shopping you're doing this weekend, or you're focusing solely on the big game on Saturday night? A little bit of both. We got a little Christmas shopping. We're, we're uh, buying for a few families, and uh, the wife is actually setting up a little Bucks charity event now, doing some things. And, of course, we're, we're banking on Santa showing up for the Novak kids, too. We're, we're still threatening the naughty list, but <laughs> I got a feeling they're on the nice list. So that I think they're going to be getting a few things, too, as long as Amazon keeps doing their job. And, and uh, looking forward to the, the, the Christmas matchup against Boston, too. We actually – we kind of did the debate, like, should we go to the game? Because it's national exclusive. Should we go? Do you guys want to stay home by the fire and just watch? And my son looked at me. He was like, no, we're going to the game. <laughs> so, here's a little gift to you, Dad. Yeah, here's a gift to you. Uh, well, at least we know who's running the show in the Novak house. It's not the parents. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Join so. the club. Hey, thanks, buddy. Uh I won't be with you on uh, Saturday night, but I'll see you. I'll see you next week. And uh, the three of us uh, team together pretty good. We call each other the three amigos. James produces 
lot of our shows for us. And uh, it's always a pleasure catching up with uh, Steve and, and working and stuff. And uh, you, uh, you have a good one. All right. You guys too. You're the best. All right. See you later, Steve. See you guys. All right, that's Steve Novak joining us, and uh, we appreciate that. It was it was fun catching up with him on uh, on several topics because it's always oh, yeah. good, you know, James picking the brain of somebody that's been around for such a long time. And and Steve obviously does a great job on our show. Um, the thing that I that I love about uh, guys like him and and a lot of the guys on our broadcast is they they love to dig deep and not just talk about and show what yeah. they have done in their career, but really how it gets done and how they got to where they are and why there are so many, you know, current players that are, are so relatable here mm-hmm. at this point. And I, I like that talk with, uh, with him and Steph Curry. I liked your stat you dug up too about, you know, they're, they're both right there together and in, yeah. in accuracy. It's amazing. And that's, that's kind of the thing too. Like uh, Steve is, was such a good shooter is such a good shooter. And like, I think people sometimes forget, like, because of guys like Steph um, that that are so kind of just next level, we forget that that like that second tier prior to Steph was the best tier of shooters we had ever seen. Yeah. So you yeah. know, you know what I mean. It's still like it's still incredibly impressive, and and it's such an asset for us just in the way that the game has changed. Like who who better could you want to kind of you know tap their mind? on the game than one of the 10 greatest percentage wise shooters in the league. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's it good really stuff. Works out. It good and we work. like him. So, you know, although he'd rank a little higher if we did get him to give us those Rolexes. That's true. I, I, I mean, mean we, we could probably get him into, we could probably get him as the greatest shooter of all time. If he gets those Rolexes. Let, let me just say this. He goes to New York a lot. And I, and I know guys that open up their coat pockets and have, they're yeah. all lined with watches. <laughs> that might be what we're getting. Just, yeah, just I mean, hey, that, that was his old stomping ground, so he, he should know, know the area well, get us a good a good fake. I'm telling you, he still gets all his suits from New York, so he's <laughs> a sharp dresser. So, uh, so here we are. We're almost to the end of our show, and uh, we haven't talked Packers, which is we, – yeah. we talked Packers on Monday. Uh, obviously, they're taking on the Ravens on Sunday – a um, lot, lot of questions, I, I guess, at this point, period, uh, across all of sports right now is uh, who's going to wind up on on a COVID list and not being able to play. The Bucks obviously, yeah. are, are facing that this week. So many teams are. Um, this is still a game out there that uh, is very winnable for, for Green Bay. I think that the greatest thing is they're, they're in the driver's seat to – to take this number one seed, they got four regular season games uh, yet to go. What What are your thoughts for Sunday? Well, I just looked it up. I saw a tweet from uh, Ian Rappaport that uh, Lamar Jackson isn't practicing today, um, putting potentially Tyler Huntley in line to start. Um, it's the first time all year he hasn't practiced all week, so it doesn't look too good. It looks like an ankle injury. Yeah. And if that's the case, um, if – if Tyler Huntley is the starting quarterback, this should shouldn't be an issue, right? Um, but you, you still they still have weapons. You still got to worry about uh, Mark Andrews. That guy eats up the middle of the field. Um, so I mean, it, it should it it looks good. It looks it looks like they should get out of this with a win. But it is the NFL, and you never know. 
So that game starts at uh, 325 on Sunday. So we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit on Monday. But we also have another uh, guest coming in. Uh, Tim Dillard is going to join us on the show Monday. Uh, and we're going on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon that day. So um, I'm going to have a happy hour drink with me, I think, uh, because it's going to be 5 o'clock Eastern somewhere. <laughs> and uh, we usually do our shows in the morning. So um, we refrain. We have Fruity Pebbles instead, Fruity obviously. Pebbles, yeah. <laughs> Fruity Pebbles and Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. No, it should be fun. It'll be good to see uh, to hear from Tim again. I haven't seen him in, since the end of the season. So be good to catch up and see what's going on. Yeah, he said he's enough. doing uh, some kind of a, a daily workout, and it seems it seems through his text that it's an all day thing. But just knowing Tim, it's probably not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he's staying in in shape again for yeah. me, just in case somebody needs me. <laughs> well, you know, with the lockout, everyone's probably thinking to himself, maybe they'll need some uh, replacement players. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> So that'll be fun. We'll look forward to that Monday. Uh, again, we'll be live at four o'clock for that one. So good stuff. You, you got, uh, what do you got? Christmas shopping yet to do? Or are you all done? No, I just, the like Steve said, the last Amazon packages came through and wow. I just got to wrap them. So that's the fun part. That is impressive, man. Well done. Well done. It's, it, this is an anomaly. I am not ever done before the 24th so <laughs> i'm glad i have a good influence on you right. <laughs> <laughs> all right pal have a good weekend uh we'll see you back uh monday thanks for watching everybody we'll see you monday at uh, four o'clock for another version of kashan cast have a good one